Today, we are looking at the Batman, the most popular, successful comic book character of all time, perhaps in all of pop culture. We are going to look at the visionaries who successfully styled Batman in the most iconic manner, just like the big A-list stars, comic book characters. Find stylistic renditions of them that have impact over the decades. They become iconic. Today, we are looking at the specific artists who changed the way Batman looked, felt, depicted him for all time. Each artist gave a very specific rendition that was picked up by all who followed. These are the iconic artists who shaped the Batman on an all-new Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Who is Rob Liefeld? I've made so many comics, hundreds, thousands of pages, hundreds, maybe thousands of comics when you count the comics I've written, drawn, published. So I've been around the block. I've been doing this a long, long time. This may be your first time interacting with me. So I need to know, uh, let you know what I do, why I do what I do. And, and what I do is make the comics. Why I make the comics is because I love the comics and I am just completely in awe and continue to be staggered at how comic books have become the mainstay of uh, my kids' generation. Really, uh, my kids, we started having babies in 2000 and it was right then that you got this entire shift to respectable, exciting superhero motion pictures. Ironically, it was only the Batman movies that were working prior to that. Now, now you go, well, what about Superman? Yeah, Superman like ran into steam in the 80s, like early 80s, like, like 1980, like, like with the sequel. Superman 1 and 2 were beloved, then the third one with Richard Pryor. And then from that point on, there was a great deal of difficulty. The 1989 uh, Tim Burton Batman movie clearly became a juggernaut. But as I have covered over three, four seasons on this show, it only helped Batman. It never really helped any other superhero movie get off the launch pad. And I'm not alone. All the people that I would run into, especially in the nineties, given the sales and the recognition that our books were getting, we were being uh, put in, you know, the executive suites at universal pictures at 20th century Fox at Disney at Paramount. And they'd always vacillate. Ah, we really wonder if there's something there in this comic book space, but it just seems to be, you know, Batman is popular because, you know, he was so well known before he was a movie, which look, you couldn't, you know, dissuade them because the Adam West Batman television series had been so, you know, culturally relevant. I mean, it was, it, it, it hit the culture, uh, with, with, with a powerhouse impact and, and then lived on in, in reruns that I saw twice a day, you know, when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, which was way past when it was airing in primetime. But, you know, from 5 to 6 p.m. after school, it was Batman back-to-back. And much of the world only saw Batman through the Adam West lens. And the ir- irony of all this is because we're going to discuss the greatest Batman artist of all time today. So it's interesting that the Batman movie phenomenon really only moved the needle for Batman. And it took multiple poor efforts for that to finally run out of juice with Batman and Robin. And trust me, just it, it, ironically, even though Batman wouldn't greenlight any superhero movies and couldn't get any big, giant, budgeted Marvel or further DC movies off the ground, the minute Batman and Robin sank, executives all around 
you know, Hollywood. And yes, these, these decisions are made at the executive suite. Again, I said the penthouse. You go up to the highest level. These guys, and these men and women, earned these mega, you know, 2,000 square feet offices with luxury bathrooms in multiple, you know, a meeting room, a living room, a desk area, an office area. And these are the people who have the studio's finances on the line. So just so you know, whether it was Universal, and at the time that I was meeting with Universal in 1995, 94, he wasn't the president of, of the film unit yet, but he had a big damn office, which meant he, he had a lot of importance. And his name was Car D'Angelo. He happens to own Earth 2 Comics in the Valley, in Southern California, and has for probably 20 years. But when I met him, he was an executive, and they were eager to get rolling on the Hulk. They said, we have the rights to the Hulk. We're going to make the Hulk movie. You know, we're looking at these, these other, you know, projects that you have, because I'm a comic book fan. Young Car D'Angelo was more excited about telling me how much they were going to make the Hulk and how it was imminent and they were getting scripts and talking to directors. So that is a good decade before we'd see the Hulk come to screen with the, with the Ang Lee uh, version of the Hulk. They were trying to get movies made, but the executive suites could not get it across the finish line. He was much more interested in making the Hulk than he was anything in my catalog and presumably anybody else's. And that goes for everybody. Paramount, the president of Paramount called me in in 2002. They were going to make a Youngblood movie. They had eventually told me, we've done a study. Uh Uh-oh, when they tell you they've done a study, run, duck, or just get up and leave. Just, just, just get up and walk out because they have now, they're going to hide behind some analytics, which have never served them. Remember the analytics that said Avatar 2 was going to fail? How's that working out? How's that work? Avatar 2, it doesn't matter. That audience moved on. It was never popular. Everyone who said that has copious amounts of egg on their face at this moment. But I got a report from Paramount that said, well, with X-Men and Spider-Man at Sony doing well, and they're both getting sequels. We've run analytics, and by the third movie of each, this trend is going to be on the downswing, and we don't want to be on the bad side of a bell curve. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? And as I left, and I told the president of Paramount, who would no longer be there, and he wasn't there when they signed a distribution deal with Marvel some you know, five, six years later. Again, it was only a distribution deal. They didn't put any of their own money into making the first Iron Man and, and, and Captain America and the Thor films. But the president of Paramount at the time said to me, you know, we don't want to be on the other end of this. And I said, look, I'm going to tell you something right now. I, the last decade, the 90s, it was all the diehard formula. You know, uh, guy in an office building, guy in a boat, guy in a train, guy in a plane. That was a really fun, you know, underdog against terrorists. Drove the conversation really pushed the envelope of action movies, really transformed action movies. And, and, and everyone will tell you that Die Hard was the movie that, that established an all new formula, you know, trope, whatever. <laughs> I said to the guy, I said, look, we've watched people have claws come out of their hands now in X-Men and, and, and there are, you know, webs coming out of a guy who's swinging across Manhattan. There are men levitating with magnetic powers you know, uh, uh, throwing, you know, giant, you know, girders and steel platforms at people. We're not going back to guys with guns crouching behind desks, having to walk across the glass barefoot. 
And I said, and if they make the Fantastic Four movie and they have a guy actually, you know, turn to flame and fly around on screen, it's game over. But, you know, they, they, they still, to my knowledge, Paramount still has not bankrolled a comic book film, a superhero film. They, once the Transformers movies hit it big for them and then they tried again with G.I. Joe, but mainly the Transformers, they said, well, th- these are our superhero films. The Transformers movies are our superhero films. And there's, it's hard to argue that. But anyway, I have been staggered by since the 2000s because that Paramount guy and his analysts were wrong. Uh, and, and boy, you know, they took a $100 million check. I was telling my wife this the other day. A year before Disney released the Avengers, remember it was coming out from Paramount. Paramount had, Paramount's distribution deal was with, an, with X amount, maybe six movies. That's why they, Paramount, the Paramount Mountain is what appears before the original airings of Iron Man 1, 2, Captain America, Thor. And it was set to be the distributor on the Avengers. It made all the trades. Oh my gosh. Deadline, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Paramount wrote or received, excuse me, Paramount received from Disney a $100 million upfront check. That's what they reported for the distribution rights. It turned out that they didn't even give 5% of that. I mean, at the time, that must have been, whoa, we don't get, we don't have to do anything because Marvel pays for these. But in, in lieu of our taking our distribution take, our distribution percentage, Disney to get this and so that they can distribute it and make it their first Disney Marvel film, they're giving us just a flat $100 million, which must have felt awesome until they saw Avengers make $2 million. And they're like, ooh, man, if we had taken 10% of distribution, I mean, it's crazy. But uh, again, the, the, the way that comic book superheroes, the, the same superheroes that I've known and loved and made and created and told stories and put on paper and sent to the press and, and, and put out on the shelves of comic stores uh, all, all across the world, seeing them come to life, seeing them uh, now a, a full menu of every streaming service has their superhero options, whether it's HBO Max with the DC catalog, obviously Disney with their um, Marvel options then then the spider-man stuff which is sony bounces all over the place but you've got invincible on amazon you've got the boys on amazon uh everybody seems to have something you know back when the tv stuff was licensed out by marvel i mean f fx uh uh oxygen whoever did cloak and dagger i mean there was a ton of uh marvel shows across all manner of, of different networks and options. So it's, it's been staggering to watch this, but the most popular among them in, you know, time tested has been Batman. Batman's portrayal on film is, uh, th- those percentages are pretty high. When a Batman film comes out, when a bar- Batman cartoon is released, the, uh, reception of those is through the roof. Obviously Chris Nolan made a billion each. Uh, drew a billion dollars in business, which again, I count as asses in the seats, butts in the chairs, uh, tickets sold to go see his final two chapters of his, you know, Batman trilogy with, with Christian Bale, which is and remains my favorite version on film because I, I thought they were really smart. They were well done. I like the technology. I like the relationship uh, with, with, uh, with Morgan Freeman. I just, I just loved everything about those Nolan movies. My, 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 my favorite is his, is his first one, Batman Begins, which got the least amount of eyeballs, but still it made, you know, it did great, tremendous business, but nowhere near what would happen with Dark Knight and then Rises. Uh, and again, movies I really dug, movies I absolutely thrilled at. And they were the, 
they were the pace horse until Avengers. And I have covered in several podcasts how it turned everything upside down. The minute that Marvel was making more than the Batman movies, it it upended Warner Brothers and it is why they've been in the tailspin. And you're like, right, Liefeld, that's too simple. It's not. It is the reason they were in the tailspin. The executive suite at Warner's smugly believed all we ever had to do was put Batman in anything and we would win the head-to-head battle. We'd beat Iron Man. We'd beat Captain America. Nothing was working. The Nolan Batman movies were just the big shadow over everything that Marvel was doing until the Avengers. Avengers outgrossed the final chapter in Nolan's Batman. Not by much, but enough. I mean, you know, once you get into that billion range, you're like, well, what are we really looking at here? But it matters. And there was no looking back. Henry Cavill has been sacrificed on the altar of the Man of Steel movies not doing enough. Not good enough and great wasn't enough. It had to do spectacular. It had to do blockbuster. So it's like Marvel's success, especially when stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy started blowing up and and when something like a Deadpool at Fox went on to kiss $800 million on a $50 million budget. And which, I don't know if you are aware of this, it made more than Batman, Superman, cumulatively. Um, You know, I mean, suddenly you're like, what's happening here? The Marvel brand across the spectrum is doing so much better. But Batman was the time-tested. And and to this day, if you take all of the receipts, starting with the 1989 Batman film, you're going to find that a bet on Batman is, is a very successful bet. So many of those movies were influenced by so many of these comics that I'm going to share with you today. Because my best of Batman artist list, which ironically I put on Twitter a couple of weeks ago because I was just excited. I, I, I have told you guys here, I'm not a dedicated Batman fan. I, I could not ever hope to follow all of the Batman titles, whether I was a kid or, you know, here now as an adult. And, and again, you know, late 70s, early 80s, when I'm in the prime of my buying power uh, and comics were, were so much more affordable, I couldn't keep up. There was Batman. There was Detective Comics. There was the Batman family. There was Brave and the Bold. There was World's Finest. He was in Justice League. I mean, six, seven Batman books all the time, routinely. I couldn't keep up with them. The character never completely clicked with me in a way that maybe the Avengers, X-Men, Wolverine, Spider-Man did, Captain America. I was definitely uh, just not as enamored. Now, I watched those Batman shows. Never missed them. Never, ever missed them. And and they, they were entertaining, but they were part of what these comics represent as coming. None of these artists that I'm going to share with you are from that Adam West era because it was everything that happened afterwards that really shaped the Batman that we get today. I'm going to share with you 10 artists that I believe are the best artists to ever depict Batman. And again, like I said, when I put on my list of, of uh out on Twitter and I made it public to the world. I got a lot of recency bias. A lot of guys, my favorite artist of the last 10 years isn't on there. My favorite artist of the last five years. Well, I don't, that's not, that doesn't matter. Those guys aren't innovators. I am bringing you the people that they're biting from. The people that when you look at artist X in the last two years, five years, 10 years, they bit from all the guys on this list. These are the innovators. These are the visionaries that have brought Batman uh, to, 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 to spectacular success on the printed page, which then went and fueled the film adaptations. Now, saying that I wasn't, you know, an automatic, you know, Batman Homer doesn't mean that when he's not great, I don't love him, just like everyone else. And I have covered the Frank Miller renditions 
of Batman, maybe more than I should have. It's so impactful on everything that we see, but but he's not alone. And and we're gonna you know start at the top of this list. We're not going backwards. We're starting right at the top. So here we are, the best Batman Batman artist of all time. Okay, the best Batman artist of all time. Now coming out of the Adam West, uh, Batman TV show the public saw him more corny. Now, I got to be honest, prior to that, the other renditions of him, especially when when it, you know, you get a lot of like Dick Sprang, S-P-R-A-N-G, Dick Sprang's Batman. The, the imagery there is a little, Batman's a little bulkier, uh, a little cartoonier, and he's smiling a lot. Well, the 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 live action show kind of played into that too, but coming out of that, um, I don't want to say that Batman was ruined, but people will tell you that Batman had been Affected. He had been affected. The depiction of Batman was definitely changed, was definitely altered. Well, coming out of that was the genius of Neil Adams. The Neil Adams Batman run is uh is one for the ages, and there is no one, no one who uh affected the character more. There are no less than man, there are multiple, I want to say five dedicated batman tomes that dc has released basically batman by neil adams reading from the third i'm going to read from neil adams okay neil adams who obviously passed away last year and and if you've watched my listen to my uh mount rushmore podcast neil's on it he changed everything in comics and the biggest attribution that he gave was a brand new more more realistic rendering uh that he, that he gave to faces and expressions but it didn't end there he took anatomy that the, the same anatomy that 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 we had come you know used to the very sculpted uh, again John Buscema model that was so prevalent at the time that Neil you know broke through on all the Marvel books um John Buscema the author of how to draw comics the Marvel way the artist of Conan and 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 seminal runs on Thor and the Avengers, and the Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, Submariner. He drew perfect anatomy, perfect proportions, great, power, powerful, heroic figures. Neil took them and put them in all new gestures, in all new um, uh, uh, poses, and, and his storytelling was very unique. He moved the camera in, big, giant, talking heads, more so than, than Buscema or even Kirby had ever dreamed. But again, in regards to the figure and his depiction of the figure, did a lot of forced perspective. Forced perspective was Neil's big ticket. He would do things that that were seemingly harder, big arms outreaching towards you, a dramatic bird's eye view of looking down on Batman or Green Lantern, looking up, raging. Okay. These were the kind of depictions of the figure that excited people because it, it broke out of the grid. It broke out broke out of the infamous Marvel grid. The six panels a page, four panels a page that had been established by Kirby and followed by, you know, Buscema and Ramita Sr. and so many others. Neil just threw it all to the wind and did all sorts of crazy poses and foreshortening and forced perspective in regards to, to, to the actual figure work. So by the time Neil comes along on Batman, it is a complete jolt to the system. Now, the, his depiction immediately becomes something that everyone is buzzing around. And you can tell, now, was I alive? I was. Was I buying them? No, I was four. I was four when his uh, seminal Batman comics started rolling out. But here is his foreword from the volume, the third volume of Batman 
the Neil Adams Batman. Neil says in his own words, again, this is like the greatest artist of all time, speaking in his own words, in the Neil Adams Batman, Illustrated Batman Volume 3. With this volume, I can say I hit a certain stride on the Batman stories. I can't exactly tell you how it happened. Danny O'Neill's writing, for one, had improved, and Dick Giordano, his inker, and I had come to a reasonable understanding. I was able to tailor the work more towards him. Of course, I always felt more comfortable inking myself, but Dick bent himself into the tools I needed in order to move forward. Thank you, Dick, he, he writes. I had earned enough of Danny's trust, the writer, to let him focus on the story and not to worry if I got it. His work soared. Again, thank you, Denny. Neil's words. Not that I hadn't pushed the borders in earlier stories, but even more, I pushed myself into experimenting. Then the magic moments came. Batman saying, boo, to the startled suit. The shark teeth surrounding the Joker. Packy White, the old boxer. Raz Ghoul. That little shot of Batman sitting cross-legged. Antidote on the lips, bare-chested. That kiss with Talia, copied by dozens. And on and on and on. See, Neil's, Neil's calling out like, people, people copied my work. Even now I read this stuff like a fan and I search to find out come this artist and this character Batman fit each other like a glove. Of course, I know the answer. And for the wink of an eye, I'll tell you. You up for it? (laughs) This is a crazy answer. I am Batman, he says. Well, not literally. I relate to Batman in so many ways. Batman was rich, I was poor. Batman was not a superhero, nor, of course, am I. He wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider. He had no superpowers. Ditto, or should I say Ditko. He earned every bit of what he had, fired by an iron resolve. Well, as to that, I was not an artist. I had an affinity, a joy to draw, but others clearly had more talent, more facility, knowledge. The list goes on. For me, it was like pulling teeth. Every step was torturous because I needed to know why and how and if and where. If I could understand it totally, I couldn't put it down on paper. I was terribly shy. I was a freckle-faced, four-eyed kid who drew. Did I say fat? Well, fattish, on and off. Chunky. I was poor, deadly poor. So I disguised myself as someone who was not poor. Hey, Neil, how can you take the cold in that light jacket? I don't feel a thing. I'm comfortable like this. I'm a polar bear, he would say. I knew my mom couldn't afford the dentist for me, so I forged a dental note for school. The note was easy, but I hand-lettered the type of the fake dentist at the top of the notepad. No one knew I was poor. It was a perfect disguise. I wasn't very strong, so I found ways to work out with furniture and lumber. It was the 1950s, in the worst days of the gang wars, in the worst neighborhood in Brooklyn, Coney Island. I disguised myself to everyone. To the Jewish kids, I was Jewish. To the Italian and Irish kids, I was unafraid. And better yet, I learned to play a killer game of handball. Handball in the 50s in Brooklyn was a tough, independent guy's game. To the gangs, I was a broad-shouldered, four-eyed geek who stood up for the Jewish kids and the smaller kids. And I wasn't worth taking down. Maybe because I drew. Kids you could draw got points off. Painting eagles on the back of a black leather jacket for a gang chief worked out for about a year. To keep myself fit, I bench-pressed benches and preacher-curled preachers. No, just kidding. I curled chairs and whatever I could find. I envied Bruce Wayne's gym. I dreamed of working out at a Gold's Gym in California where all the muscle guys were in those black-and-white bodybuilding magazines that I traded comic books for. In art high school, I studied everything about art that I could, no matter what. I was like a sponge. I had surrounded the ideas of going... I had surrendered the idea of going to Brooklyn Tech and studying science. My first love. No one knew. He says, coming home from high school, I stopped into a vest pocket library on the corner of Surf and Mermaid to read and devour science books for an hour every day. Then I went home to draw. At the end of my 11th year in high school, I brought a hundred... 
I brought 110 original comic book pages to my teacher, Mr. Allen, when the assignment was to have 10 assigned pieces. Of course, I had the 10 assigned pieces and 100 other pages. He gave me a B-plus for my portfolio. I asked him, why not an A? I had done 10 times as much as anyone in the class. I deserved an A. I know what you want, Mr. Adams, and I told you it was impossible. Why should I make it any easier for you? His answer hurt me to the core because of the respect that I had for him. I might have argued, except that this was Mr. Allen. Mr. Allen had been a comic strip art, a comic strip artist, short, well manicured, steel rim glasses, ramrod straight and, and tough. In his career, he was an assistant on a popular comic strip. When the original artist died, he was in contention to do the actual comic strip, but they didn't want him to do the strip. They tried others, but he won out through skill and ability. He had done the impossible. Why impossible? Well, he said it in 1948 in America. And Mr. Allen was black, dark-skinned, and black. Today, this probably doesn't sound like a big deal to you. After all, African-American people achieve fame nearly as often and easily as everyone else in America. No, not then in America. Not in 1948 or 58 when this happened. Ask your father. It was a big deal back then. They, They never printed his picture. He didn't belong to the cartoonist society. I, as a total fan, had never heard of any black comic strips ever. They denied his existence. White people were writing the history books, and they let him do the work. Mr. Allen did the pure impossible, and he, Mr. Allen, gave me a B plus. Mr. Allen was Batman. So am I. It's a lot to live up to. That's just a kick-ass forward, because Neil is kick-ass. Looking through these Batman uh, titles that Neil did that, that in this volume, which it is, in my opinion, the one that clicks the best. Um, oh, the faces, the rendering, the staging. I mean, Batman in the snow, you know, confronting, confronting Raza's ghoul in an element outside of Gotham City. Uh, there, there is a shot of it's, it's page two of, uh, The cover is uh, the first Raza's ghoul. And on page two of, the, of this comic, a photo of Robin who has been held hostage is sent to Neil Adam, uh, is sent to Batman. And there is a, uh, in the foreground is a profile of Bruce Wayne reacting to this, the photo. And behind him in the midground is, uh, is Jarvis, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jarvis is the, <laughs> the Avengers butler, is Alfred, the original butler. And uh, just the emotion on these faces. This is the tight crop. This is the 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 uh, the shot that you're seeing. Just the emotion alone is so fantastic. The entire crop of the scene. But then you get to Batman and him swinging around. And again, just the physicality, the masculine nature, the macho that Neil Adams put forth. Not only into Raza's goal, but into and some people will say Ray's A's goal. Whatever, whichever you want it. Um, I, 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 I vacillate between the both today. It's, it's Raza's ghoul. Um, man, uh, th- this is just the, the most, uh, the, 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 as I go through these pages again, it's macho, his, uh, his depiction of Joker, his depiction, his depiction of Two-Face, his depiction of Commissioner Gordon, um, the, the fight that he has with Raza's ghoul, which we're going to get back to because one of your favorites completely goes all in in redepicting this exact kind of sequence. There's a shot of Batman coming out of the tent on, uh, let's see if I get the page number on this one, on page 14 
of Batman number 244. On the cover, there's a sword uh, which appears to be impaled into Batman. And it says, the demon lives again. Razaz Ghul is standing over him and has his, uh, and is about to don the costume. There's guys on Camelback, Razaz Ghul's guys, it's all in, in a desert setting. That's the cover of Batman 244. But Batman and Raz battle on the sands of the desert, and Batman comes out of this tent, comes into the tent to confront Raz Ghul, and he's got his shirt off, just the cowl, just his mask. But he's got his hairy chest and, and his utility belt. Um, again, his, his arms are barren. His chest is extremely hairy. And uh, Raz Ghul says, By the gods, you pursue me past your own death. Are you man or fiend from hell? And Batman, just a killer shot of Batman, just punching him in the face and knocking him out. And he makes out with his daughter, Talia. And he slinks. Uh, well, no lifts Roz's form over his shoulders and carries him off into the night and thus ends this first giant conflict. When I was growing up in 1977, uh, so I was 10, 9, 9 and 10 in 77, they put out this entire Raz Asghul saga uh, in a giant uh, tabloid. They put it out in a, in a tabloid format. So it was, uh, you know, big, 11, almost 11 by 17, maybe larger, and it was on the, the magazine aisle, and it Neil had done an original cover for it, and it was just stunning. It was fan, fantastic. But no matter how deep you go into this incredible uh, vault of Neil's work, uh, the way that he depicted the face of Batman, the mask of da- Batman, the, 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 the lighting that he put on Batman, the angles that he portrayed Batman, the sharp cut of the mask, these um, incredible Again, foreshortened running poses that are all over this thing. Uh, this will never be like not the best drawn Batman because it's uh, it's intricate with detail and rendering. And much of what I've been seeing lately over the last decade in Batman is somebody buying into some of the other tricks of some of the other people on this list who decided not to do Neil Adams Batman, but do some a version of their own. And by doing a version of their own, it, they went t- towards a more simplistic approach. And the simplistic approach is something that I'm seeing more and more and more of. But what defined uh, this depiction of Batman was uh, this incredible approach towards a more serious, realistic, and dare I say, yes, macho, very macho, gritted teeth, uh, Batman half in the darkness, half out of the darkness, um, the reaction of others around him, his Joker was frightening and, uh, and, and, and as menacing as anyone had ever seen Joker depicted. Uh, I mean, you know, the thing about Neil that he's, he's very, doesn't say in his forward is he's a very handsome guy. And so by the time he grew out of being what he calls chunky or chubby-ish, uh, he became a very hunky, handsome guy and used himself as a reference, often for his male characters, most notably Hal Jordan as Green Lantern. He also used himself for Green Arrow for um, and, and for Bruce Wayne and Batman, and he would take pictures of himself with his shirt off, posing, modeling some of these same poses. Um, there are photos that that reveal this. This, is, this isn't just, uh, you know, 
old wives tale this is this isn't mythology this is actual factual uh you know with with proof that he would do this it's how he advanced the form none of this stuff looks like photos uh, occasionally it's photo realistic but neil didn't you couldn't go and make pictures of all this again the posing and the foreshortening and all of the ways that he uh pushed the boundaries of of gesture human form and gesture uh were uniquely neil uniquely neil and again the rendering and the beautiful faces oh i mean again the rendering when he speaks that dick giordano and he had blended so well neil couldn't possibly ink everything of his neil is his, is, is really his own best inker but dick, dick giordano is probably you know would be number two on that list uh i've done dedicated pos- podcast about what i believe is the greatest comic book ever drawn which is superman versus muhammad ali which came out in 1978 again another tabloid edition original an original not a reprint that was originally done just for that size to capitalize on the insane popularity that muhammad ali had worldwide at the time and if you've never read it go read it or listen to my podcast on it to get a primer but i mean if you think how did superman and muhammad ali possibly team up it's brilliant neil wrote it he illustrated it he inked a large portion of it but dick was along on that ride as well these Razaz Ghoul issues are seen as the the high point of of Neil's run, but again, I cannot tell you coming out of the Batman uh, television show and from the depictions of the Dick Sprang Batman, this new realistic. I believe this is where the word gritty, you know, was originated. Gritty, the gritty Batman is born right here. What Frank Miller does is he then builds on this and expands this and does it quite differently in in fact but i want to wrap up the neil adams batman and why it was so uh just resonant and 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 again the mature themes the dark the shadows the shadows and light the depiction of batman in the shadows and in the light the um advanced rendering the posing and and the foreshortening and the just action shots and the emotion like i said just pulling the camera in tighter than anybody had gone at that time. Giant heads on the page. Um, like I said, that, that that profile of Bruce looking at the photo of Robin and Alfred is right beyond the, you know, the profile of Bruce and, and the shock on both their faces. But as I flip through this on random pages, I mean, just giant, giant headshots, big faces, not, not scared to take the camera as close as it had ever been, closer than anyone was doing at Marvel Comics. Let me let me let me end the Neil Adams portion of this. Why is he the greatest? Let me let me tell you what uh, what some of his peers uh, were quoted on the back of this book. Alex Ross, the preeminent kind of realistic uh, painter illustrator, born from the comic book world, celebrated talent, mega talent, uh, Kingdom Come, Marvels. I mean, he he also radically altered the comic scene with his realistic portrayals. And aside, my thing that I love most about Alex is not that he can paint from photos like Neil could draw from photos, is his mastery of color. He has really, the color and the palette and the choices that he makes are stunning. Alex is quoted on the back of this saying, I live in a post-Neil Adams comic book world. You would not have me without there having been a Neil Adams first. Joe Quesada, Neil's a pioneer. If I describe him in one word, I would say genius. Andy Kubert, son of the acclaimed Joe Kubert. Neil is the definitive Batman artist. He revolutionized the characters. His is the way people portray Batman now. Boom. The afterword. I mean, again, his is the way people portray Batman now. To this day. So let me just do this. 
If you see John Burns, Batman, Alan Davis's Batman, Brian Hitch's Batman, Irv Novik's Batman, uh, Elements in Frank Miller's Batman, Ivan Rice, Batman, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Batman, Alex Ross, Batman, uh, both of the Kubert brothers, Batman, Jim Lee's Batman, my Batman, they're all reflecting elements of Neil. It may be the most resonant and definitive version of Batman that we'll ever see in, in, in terms of sheer impact. Let me read what uh, the back of this says. Over the many year, over the years, many artists have defined the look of one of the bat of the most. Over the years, many artists have defined the look of one of the most iconic characters in pop culture, DC Comics Batman. But of all of them, perhaps the most influential is Neil Adams, who began drawing the Cape Crusader, Crusader just as he was in danger of disappearing into a black hole of TV-inspired campiness and pop art oblivion. Neil Adams' art returned Batman to his urban roots, putting him back in the shadows and rehabilitating, rehabilitating his image for a whole new generation of fans. Joining Adams in the Batman renaissance was writer Denny O'Neill, who crafted stories to match the look and feel of the Dark Knight Detective's gothic roots. Inker Dick Giordano also helped refine the look, and together the trio set a new standard for Batman and Batman comics. So, again, this, so, so you go, well, are you reading something that was published in the 70s? No. Let me tell you, this is, uh, this is from the 2000s. This, this edition that I am reading to you is a edition from 2007. So, so this is in the 2000s, as, as they have been collecting people, collecting work that at the time was 40 plus years old, still being hailed as the, uh, you know, the highest, highest level of depiction of Batman ever. I mean, really think about that for a minute. I mean, Neil did his work in 1970, 1971, these, these Batman comics. And in 2007, 37 years later, they're telling you, that it is the greatest depiction of Batman ever. And I'm telling you now, nothing has changed. So again, just, just so we're clear, Neil is the far and away top, top dog in this hunt. And as you, as, as you see, as we, as we continue to go along this list, I'm going to draw uh, lines from some of the other names on this straight back to Neil. He's that influential. Some of the other guys down this list are, are, are getting applications from neil himself he is that influential now number two and i, and I also think this is not cannot be disputed is, is mr frank miller here's the deal <laughs> frank miller's dark knight returns changed batman as much as neil's did in 1970 he completely altered the way people had looked at batman because some 15 years later, the, the interest in Batman had waned and had died. And so many people had depicted Batman the way Neil had. That there was kind of a, I would say, a dullness to the approach. Now, when you read those Frank Millers, you'll see this is not my opinion. That the sales of Batman were dying. I have noted and read directly from no less than Stephen King, the author of carry and it and the stand and you know all his giant incredible accomplishments the one of the greatest novelists certainly horror novelists but i i don't think it's fair to make him a horror guy he's just one of the greatest authors in the history of fiction wrote in a batman anniversary issue about how he felt prior to 
Frank Miller coming on Dark Knight that Batman, who had been losing titles, and I, I, I mentioned to you that seven titles when I was a kid pulling them off the racks. Well, by the time Frank was coming out with it, he was down to about two titles. Batman and Detective. Brave and the Bold had been turned into a team book called The Outsiders that he helped launch. They used Batman to launch it, and then The Outsiders became their own thing. World's Finest, a book that he shared with Superman, gone. Batman Family, gone. The Batman reach was not what it used to be. It had been replaced by the X-Men hype, which had dictated almost everything that came after it. Batman's place in the sun was, was, was getting softer. And, and the most important thing that Stephen King points out is, as a kid, he had seen such notable, big pop names to him as, as a kid and also to my dad, because my dad introduced me to the same stuff. Uh, Flash Gordon, Tarzan, Buck Rogers, The Shadow, The Phantom. These were huge pulp characters, and they had movies and serials. And not, not serials that you eat, serialized features in the movie theater. Someday we'll go and do an entire, you know, observations on the, the 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 way that Marvel Comics now, the way they run their film slate is a, you know, more aggrandized version of the 15 or 10 minute, Mar- you know, uh, film serial where my dad and people like George Lucas, because he talks about it, it's what inspired Sp- Star Wars, would go once a week, twice a week, once a month to see the new, you know, serialization, the new episode of Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, Tarzan, The Phantom, Shadow. This is how other than comics and pulp novels, this is how these characters reach the masses. But they were drawing up, had drawn, drawn, had drawn up. I mean, I can tell you for for a fact. I mean, Tarzan's son had set already. There was no Tarzan books. Flash Gordon, but they were gone. So Stephen King knew what he was talking about. Frank re-energized. I I, I did an entire uh, podcast, a dedicated podcast. The 10 Ways Frank Miller Changed Batman. The 10 Ways Dark, Dark Knight Changed Batman. It's in last season's queue. If you go into the, your, your uh, library, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple, and you scroll through the seasons, you'll see all the different episodes. Again, I'm not going to give a whole lot more to Frank Miller because I've given maybe 8 to 10 hours um, of this podcast to him already over the last three years. So the biggest ways Frank defined physically, the, the depiction, the artistic depiction, rendition, is the broadness he made he made Batman thicker. No longer was it the lean kind of uh, athletic physique uh, that, that that would be more like t- today's wide receivers or power forwards, you know, uh, or 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 you know, like a, a a triathlete. He made him thicker, uh, more like the burliest of boxers. His his gravity was more centered in his thighs and his waist and his broad chest. Everything about Frank Miller's Batman was thicker. He played a lot with wrinkles in the costume, just endless, copious amounts of wrinkles, stuff that you'll see picked up later on by artists like Tim Sale. But wrinkles, creases, starched costume, that used to be a joke. And I certainly put it into my my work as well, that the starch the 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 costume being so brittle and crinkled and wrinkled and that's that's really something that Frank did. Frank also made the ears much shorter, blunted them, made the uh, snout of Batman's mask much shorter. It was an in, it was a complete aesthetic aesthetic transformation, and immediately it was impactful. Artists like Art Adams and Mike Zeck on the covers 
they, 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 in the interiors, this version of Batman became the one that everybody wanted to start depicting. Um, certainly the violence factor, the, the, the Frank really re-upped the action component, fisticuffs. You know what I mean? In, in Dark Knight 2, when Batman is smashing the gang leader that has challenged him in the Sons of the Batman and smashing him into the, into the rocks in the mud. Um, I mean, that, 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 this, this was big stuff. This was really, really uh, impactful stuff. And it was a way that Batman had not been depicted. Really, the snarl was back. The gritted teeth, the, the, um, the scowl. The fury, the, the furiosity, and the physicality of the character. If if Neil made him macho, Frank took the machismo up another ten levels. So, again, the the aesthetics thicker, broader, wrinklier costume, less shadows, really more just pure blue and gray. Whereas, and because he didn't have the same acumen for rendering and lighting that 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 Neil did, he 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 was experimenting with a lot of that when Frank came to his popularity in his in his in his fame first sword and his star status was cemented on his daredevil run here he takes a completely different aesthetic and again it's the broadness the strength the thickness the girth i have multiple statues of frank miller's dark knight um ama- amazing renditions that e- even more so convey the the thickness like i said and and the strength of the figure the the the, the girth uh, but again, the, the short snout and definitely, definitely the really tiny Batman ears. When, when at a time when people were pulling those ears higher and higher, they, they were like antennas. So Frank Miller, number two, hands down going away behind Neil Adams. So who is number three? Well, you're, it's it's going to shock you. And I'm going to tell you, I think this is going to age fantastically. None other than my, 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 my former image founder, and partner in Image Comics, Mark Silvestri. Mark Silvestri has a book right now, Batman Joker, that is coming out monthly. The third issue is out as of this podcast. Uh, a buddy of mine who hadn't been reading comics lately, we went out for comics in between com- in between uh, Christmas and New Year's. And I showed him my comic store, and, and he was struggling to buy anything or get interested. And I, I grabbed Batman Joker. They had the last copy. And I gave it to him and said, you need to try this. He goes, is this any good? And I go, you're going to love it. What Mark is doing in his illustrative approach is a return, really, and then and and honestly, and then some. Let me go with and then some of what Neil did. It's not quite Dick Sprang, but people have almost made their depictions of Batman into a caricature. This uh, somewhere after it was it was after Frank Miller when Bruce Timm's depiction of Batman in the Batman animated series took, and that also owes a tremendous amount to somebody who's coming on the list who also worked with Frank Miller. These depictions of Batman, uh, which took out a lot of the rendering and the detail and the, and the, and the extra um, uh, de- the, the extra attention to the form, just became about shape. And Batman now operates as a shape, lots of shadows. A, a book came out, a popular promoted book, came out the set the same realm within the same week of Mark Silvestri's second issue of Batman and Joker. And if you put them side by side, the contrast is just incredible in regards to one is sheet work and crops and shadows and trying to literally draw as little as they possibly can while depicting Batman in more of a shape, which is certainly an approach. I favor Mark's approach, which is rendering the living shit 
out of Batman, but it's not just rendering. His Batman is not quite as thick as Frank, not quite as leaf and 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 slim, slender as Neil's. Is a strength. He has broader shoulders, thinner waist than 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 Neil's, but not quite as you know thick as Frank's. But the way that Mark depicts his face, the angles that he hits on those ears, that snout, um, oh, just the most beautiful Batman maybe I've ever seen. Certainly the best Joker. He builds on what Brian Boland and Neil Adams and everyone else established with Joker and just takes it to the next level. Mark will tell you that he took seven to eight years to make this. Well, here's the thing that I love to say in return to that is you can see the seven to eight years worth of work on every single page. This is not some phone-in hack work. This is not a cash grab. Mark put love in every frame, every panel, multiple panels, every page. It is the most striking, handsome uh, depiction, the, the most beautiful, gorgeous, can't take your eyes off of it. And even when Batman is frightened and, 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 uh, and shocked, he looks awesome. The action sequences are top-notch, top-level. Mark's rendering, his gestures, the uh, storytelling is just off the charts. It's, it's nothing short of just an incredible depiction of Batman, the best I've seen since Neil Adams. Now, let me wrap up the Mark Silvestri epic, uh, uh, aspect of this as you run out and go and get this Batman Joker book as soon as you possibly can, if you have not already. 20, 21, 22 years ago, Bat, uh, there was a book called Batman Black and White, and Mark did maybe more 20, 23, 24. I kind of remember it as 98, 1999. They were doing a Batman Black and White special, and Mark did a single shot of Batman sitting in a chair in the Batcave. That's it. Single figure, single shot, not a story, just a shot. You looked at it for hours. I kept returning to it. The uh, way that the, the, the cape draped out across the chair that he was sitting in in the back cave, the lighting, the rendering. One shot. He didn't do a story. He just did this one kind of, you know, work for hire, next level depiction of Batman. That became a statue. Um, it, it was such a great shot. DC sent it to the statue department and made an actual depiction of it. Black and white statue, color statue. They have gone to the house on one single illustration. So, of course, they entered into an agreement for him to do a multi-hundred page saga that is the best Batman has looked in two decades. It's not even close. Maybe three, maybe 30 years. Batman Joker by Mark Silvestri is the new gold standard, the brand new gold standard. He is doing to Batman what Neil did all over again, and he is sparing no expense. He is fully rendering and detailing and uh, using uh, great mastery of lighting and light effects and shadows. And he is not cheating or cropping or blocking out in giant swaths of black ink, you know, a shape that, that, that you know is going to be familiar as Batman. That's much easier to pull off. Mark is putting the work in. And again, the ability to pick his shots, whether it's an upshot of Batman on, on, on the roof of a, of a building or a downshot of him looking down on Gotham City from enormous heights or these killer action sequences where, where he's, you know, battling a bunch of like Joker vampires um, across a double page spread. Uh, and don't even get me started. His Harley Quinn is stunning. The, the Simply the best rendition I've ever seen of Harley Quinn. She looks gorgeous. And we what we've seen of her is kind of her in captivity beaten up and she still looks stunning. Commissioner Gordon. You can see the Neil. You can see the Neil Adams in what Mark is doing. He clearly 
has an affinity for Neil, but it's 100% through his Mark Silvestri's filter. Mark Silvestri right now is the third most significant artist to depict Batman in the history of the character. So the next on our list, which would make it number four, because we got Neil number one, Frank number two, Mark Silvestri number three, is none other than a gentleman who came on the book in 1977 at a time when, I mean, I, it, things may have gone even worse. Maybe Batman's deceleration, his, 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 uh, his kind of descent from the top of the charts, maybe it would have been accelerated other than this gentleman coming on board because it electrified everyone with, with basically seven issues worth of work. But he was paired with a next level talent who would go on to impact Marvel on X-Men, pretty much everything else shortly thereafter. The gentleman that I'm speaking of is a man named as Marshall Rogers. I have also given you a dedicated podcast on Marshall about two years ago about the best Batman artist you've never heard of. And, uh, in, to the kids of the 70s, as Marvel was capitalizing on their incredible talented stable with John Byrne on Fantastic Four and the Avengers and X-Men and George Perez on all the same titles, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Marvel 2 and 1, and Jim Starlin and Howard Chaikin and Mike Zeck rising up and Paul Galassi finishing up on, on, uh, on Master of Kung Fu and just... Just a wide array. Jack King Kirby had come back and was just doing tons of spectacular work for Marvel. This fresh face named Marshall Rogers pops up. And the reason he is so significant, it it, it really, his, his art is beautiful. His renditions, everything I've said about everyone else, it's a slightly cartoonier approach than a Mark or a Neil. Maybe, maybe even slightly cartoonier than even Frank. But he came on Detective Comics with 471, Marshall Rogers. The run is acclaimed. It's got its own dedicated uh, you know, collection that I've got nearby on my shelf at all times. But the number one reason, his, his depiction of Joker was extremely uh, definitive at the time too. Maybe one of the biggest smiles, when, when, when I really noticed that the Joker's smile was consistently being stylistically lo- depicted, you know, larger than a possible smile and the chin was narrower but but it's the capes it's the capes marshall rogers made his bones on batman taking the capes to an all new next level now when neil was doing batman and there's uh there's one uh depiction uh in particular uh when neil neil adams was doing batman that i i just favor so much and and it really Again, because I said I could, I could draw, I can draw uh, lines, you know, back to, um, you know, ba- back to the stuff that he was doing back then. Uh, <clears throat> his depiction of the capes was, you know, he he was he was pulling the cape, and and definitely. Uh, depicting the cape in a manner with which uh you know would blow your mind in uh in a two-faced story called half an evil there's this killer shot of batman by neil adams he's crouching on a long low-hanging branch in what looks to be like a swamp and the cape is stretched way below 
his back and head and, and, and blowing in the wind. And as you look at it, you can just see that it continues to blow back and forth. And this is, uh, this is Batman 234 and uh, the return of Two-Face. And the splash page of that issue is the back of Batman, one arm extended, leaning on the branch, but the cape is hanging probably two, like a figure and a half below him, blowing in the wind, blowing to the left. And it's amazing. It is one of those jaw-dropping, oh my gosh, the elegance and the power of that cape. Well, a guy like Marshall Rogers decided to make his entire interpretation depicted on the cape going in all these crazy directions. The cape was also much sharper. The sharp cut of the cape was, was depicted in a way that it would blow further left and right, and yet it seemed like it was going an additional 30 feet. It was almost like how much material is in this cape? How many unstable molecules to borrow from the Reed Richards, like who would make their, his, his, uh, his costume was made with unstable mo- molecules so that the fabric could stretch as long as he could, even if it was three blocks, you know, four blocks. Marshall Rogers made all these crazy, incredible shapes with the cape. He'd have Batman perched on uh, the, the, the side of a building, down shot, up shot, side shot, jumping in air, and the cape was a character in and of itself. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, well, what about Todd McFarlane and his capes? What about it? Exactly. This is the godfather of all the Todd McFarlane capes. Marshall Rogers' mastery of Batman's cape, the depiction, and, and, and as I'm fl- you know, flipping through all of his issues of detective comics that were collected, uh, collected together in just one damn handsome trade paperback. A trade paperback, by the way, I had to wait because when... My buddy Marat Michaels and I went to the comic store about five years ago, and they're having a sale. And he immediately went to the TP, the trade paperbacks, and he saw the Marshall Rogers, which I didn't even knew they had collected at the time. And he snatched it right up, and he knew there's only one. He got it. maybe a maybe a hardcover or a trade paperback. I eventually had to order mine through Amazon because come on, I, I had to have it. I had to have it all collected. Marshall came on in 1977. His run ran through 1978. The capes have it. So if you're going, well, Todd McFarlane, he's the guy with the capes. He's the guy with the capes. Well, sure. He is hugely influenced by by Marshall Rogers. Todd and I, when we first met, again, when we first met in the late 80s, 1988, first thing, oh, the Marshall Rogers capes on Batman. Oh, they, they stretch for miles and and. Uh, angles and, and, and the, 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 the different twists and turns on the cape we would just sit there and connect because kids who grew up the same it's the same time that terry austin is you know drawing the x-men run with it with john byrne marshall rogers and terry austin are churning out this incredible batman depiction and again the, the drawing is beautiful again great bruce wayne Joker, Deadshot, you know, uh, uh, Clayface. I mean, the the art is brilliant throughout. Marshall Rogers was a next level storyteller. We have not done enough about him. I think it's the episode on the haters where I may speak more at length about Marshall, but I I just, I, I am remiss that I have not covered more of his work because the minute you see it, the minute anyone sees it, and again, he's doing Batman, one of DC's best-selling books. It's electrifying 
the audiences for, for a period of time in the late 70s, early 80s at comic conventions, those Marshall Rogers detective comics were on back walls and were as popular and hard to obtain because they had just jumped in popularity and price as any of the X-Men or Frank Miller Daredevil books because people were wanting to stack up on them and they wanted nice copies again because you know this this was released at the time when comic stores were rising and they had nicer versions but so many of us had picked up this pulling them off the spinner racks where as I've covered with you guys to this day spinner racks the the books were mul- you know handled by multiple people you know fingered through uh, uh bent uh, warped and and put back uh, you 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 didn't see anything near an 8 on the racks i mean m- probably much less but it didn't matter you just wanted to read it and consume it we become consumed with condition. And so getting a nice Tony copy of those Marshall Rogers Batmans uh, was the hunt at so many of the early shows that I was attending in 1980-81, creation con shows that were coming to Disneyland Hotel, uh, comic book stores, always backwall books, the capes, the angle, the stretch, the the depiction, the way they would you know lift up in the wind. The cape became a character all to itself. When Todd McFarlane does Batman Year Two in those issues before he left and Alan Davis uh, stayed back and finished the storyline, you can go and match up, boom, right right next to each other. He has got Marshall Rogers open looking at it. Some of the panels are right on the money, swipes, homages, whatever you're going to call it. Uh, Todd was hugely influenced. Todd's depiction of Batman uh, is, is, is completely different. He would have been looking at someone else entirely. Marshall Rogers dictated everybody that came after and how they drew the capes, period. Uh, so so when you go to Norm Breifogel and Kelly Jones later, their focus on the cape alongside Todd McFarlane. Let me tell you something. It all gets back to this obsession where Marshall, I mean, Batman would be standing towering over an individual as he is, I think, in the Clayface issue. And instead of the cape draping, you know, down over his form marshall blew it up in the wind so his figure is standing there but the you know a gust of wind just like with marilyn monroe's dress that famous shot batman's cape is going straight up straight up in the wind almost like a you know a parachute but he's standing on the ground he used the cape in an all-new dramatic form and made it a character in and of himself he would do cool shots just like from the boot of batman the, the heel but the the back of the cape and make the swoop of the back of cape an entire panel. He put panels. He had the cape frame entire pages. Uh, Marshall Rogers and his depiction of Batman. Again, great looking Batman. Face, figure, form. Great looking Robin, everybody. Again, he and Terry Austin made for a killer combination. It was very comparable to what was John, what John Byrne would eventually you know, ignite over on X-Men, which would take their sales through the moon. Marshall and Terry were doing that on Detective. He is 100% in my top five, fourth most influential. When you see somebody right now doing these capes, you're seeing somebody who is a who is a hand-me-down from Marshall Rogers. Nobody, nobody, and everybody at the time, everybody knew it. My generation, you talked to Jim Lee, you talked to Eric Larson, you talked to Marshall Lester, you talked to Todd McFarlane, you talked to Dale Keown, you talked to Ron Lim, and he, oh, we'd be like, oh yeah, Marshall Rogers, oh my gosh, his Batman run. That those tapes, and literally, so so what you have eventually uh, enjoyed th- from from Norm Breifogel was started uh, 
by Marshall Rogers, Kelly Jones started by Marshall Rogers, Todd McFarlane started by Marshall Rogers. And in the decades since Marshall Rogers and when they were all doing this, these guys would openly cop to, yeah, oh, Marshall Rogers, he redefined the Batman cape. So Marshall Rogers, rest in peace, uh, just seminal. I mean, an entire trade paperback. And 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 I had to get a, uh, at the time I had to get a foreign edition and the paper is even nicer. It's a slightly larger trade paperback, but oh boy, again, you know, all of these, hey, Robin's cape looked great too, but really it was that flow and that use. And here I'm looking at, oh, I mean, literally a couple of the turns, a couple of the crazy turns that he would do with Batman. Uh, the, the, the cape look like, looks like it's stretching in 30 feet on both sides. It's, it's fantastic. Marshall Rogers, king of the Batman cape, changed the depiction forevermore, is our number four most decorated guy. Now, Number five, and we're going to leave it at five today, is uh, easily uh, m- Mr. Uh, Mr. David Mazzuccelli is uh, another, like Marshall with the capes, that you don't get anybody right now in the comic book business depicting Batman the way they do without David Mazzuccelli. Only a few issues with Frank Miller, Batman, year one. I covered it at length last year prior to uh, Robert Pattinson's The Batman. So much of that is mired in year one and is borrowed from imagery that David Mazzuccelli supplied. And David Mazzuccelli went so much, like, just diluted what Frank had done. As I said, Frank took a lot of rendering out and just made it, you know, powder blue and and, and the light gray and lots of wrinkles. David Mazzuccelli began what I call this shape, this form that so many guys today are like, oh, I can just do Batman so easily, you just kind of give this shape and this form. Bruce Tim is heavily influenced by David Mazzuccelli's depiction. Again, only only four issues, but enough that it knocked everybody on its socks. He was deeply invested in an, an, an approach by Alex Toth, T-O-T-H, who we don't talk about enough on this show, but he is a seminal uh, uh, cartoonist, illustrator, and his style and his very simplistic uh, again, I've worded simplistic a couple times because the guys who do it, they do it phenomenal. They 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 don't need and are not interested in all of the different uh, candy layers. Like I said with Barry Windsor Smith, who 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 you know made his nut with all of the different forms of multiple cross hatching on top of each other, and you know all of us image guys with the fade or the cross hatching. Toth was about a very thick line weight outline and 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 form and gesture. And when he drew the cape, just like Mazzuccelli, it was just sheer black, black, you know, white, white eye slits and maybe, you know, a mouth that would be colored flesh, but then harsh black and all black on, on the costume, no blue, no powder blue anymore, just black and gray and often dropping in a cool gesture where the cape is making a cool shape and Batman's uh, face is just a shape. So much just using complete black, uh, n- n- no light hitting the black, no rendering on the black in the mask where you would leave blue. Just a very uh, simple but effective gesture and interpretation. Again, heavy on shape and form. And the shape and the form uh, is what really defined the power of David Mazzuccelli's Batman. And in the simpleness, was almost the frightfulness 
uh, because again, you know, his Batman would come through the window in just a ball of black and gray. And, you know, the cape would be flared out, all black. He'd land, he'd look up at you with his face. And again, just the white slits and no rendering, no blue, no gray on the mask, just complete, you know, the shape of the mask all in black. So many of these guys, somewhere between uh, uh, Marshall Rogers' depiction of the cape and then Mazzuccelli's just very almost silhouetted forms that, that he pounded through. This became like the go-to. This became the go-to depiction of Batman over the last 20 years. It's simple. And when done right, it's effective. But mostly, for a lot of guys, it's just simple. What I don't see are guys approaching the Matt, the Mark Silvestri, Neil Adams, in-depth form of rendering, lighting, uh, double rim lighting. Uh, they're just they're, they're just not as interested in that, especially these guys who are now so much more conditioned to draw on a uh, a Cintiq or on their iPad using you know one of one of the Photoshop programs. Uh, they're just more you know about shape and form, and shape and form on Batman was personified with David Mazzuccelli and his epic running go. But the Alex Toth, and it, David Mazzuccelli would tell you, I am being influenced by Alex Toth, but. Alex Toth did not illustrate Batman Year One, which was a huge turning point, certainly redefined, uh, you know, and you don't get Zoe Kravitz version of Catwoman without Batman Year One. Again, I did an entire podcast on the the impact of uh, of uh, of this work on the uh, the Batman, the Pattinson book, uh, the Pat, the 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 Pattinson movie that came out a year ago that everyone seemed to love so much, which was completely mired in year one. And then the extension of that was the Tim Sale stuff, which Tim Sale is completely uh, beholden to those Mazzuccelli issues. And he would also, when Tim and I would have these discussions in our studio, the, the awesome comics had a place in Century Studios. Century Studios, when I say our studios, our awesome comics space, Jeff Loeb, was running uh, publishing for me, and obviously I was owned the label. And Tim would come in on frequent visits with Jeff to talk about their Batman projects that they were doing with DC. And we'd sit and we'd talk, and we, you know, it was all about Mazzuccelli and Toth. And 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 but Mazzuccelli did the seminal body of work that is acclaimed and collected, and again and again and again and again, and in just a few short issues, defined the way that so many people. Uh, are, are making Batman look to this day again? Most of your DTRs for the last twenty years are borrowing some somewhat. The most interesting thing, um, he didn't make the top five. Jim Lee, Hush starts out very Frank Miller uh, inspired. Jim is doing Frank Frank's um, more squat, uh, thick, heavy form of Batman. And then as the issues go by, and by the middle when he is battling Razaz Ghul and Jeff Loeb had told me. He's like, look, look at all these Neil Adams issues. And if you look at, because I, I made mention of this during the Neil Adams Raza School stuff, and I said one of the artists on the list actually kind of uh, reenacts this entire Raza School desert battle. And he is, Neil, Jim is drawing like Neil in those issues. And by the end of Hush, uh, Jim is doing a Neil Adams Batman more than he, any other Batman that he has depicted the entirety of the Hush run. But he is looking along the, you know, he is he is taking in, as I've told you, what Jim does wonderfully is he sponges. He can take different influences and, you know, put them through 
his own lens and and come out giving you a Frank Miller-esque looking Batman, Neil Adams-esque, but again, it has a Jim Lee filter on it. I don't think there's anybody who's been better at it than he has in the last 30 plus years. But uh, those are my top five. Now, rounding out my top 10, and, and here's the deal. There's a lot of great artists out there who, who I'm never going to put on a Batman list. Now, people are like, well, what about Jose Luis Garcia Lopez? Well, he did some standalone stories, but he didn't do a run. He, didn't, he doesn't have a Neil Adams run. He doesn't have a Marshall Rogers run, a David Mazzuccelli run, a Mark Silvestri run. When Mark's all said and done, he'll have done hundreds of pages, eight issues total. Um, and, 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 you know, some of those issues are 25, 24 issue, issues, uh, pages long. And, uh, you know, most of the people on this list have have a dedicated run. They just didn't do a, a cover or a special or an annual. Certainly, again, Garcia Lopez, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, one of the best draftsmen ever in the history of comics. Brilliant, beautiful lines, beautiful lines and form and art and, 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 and in many ways, an extension of Neil Adams, very Neil Adams influence. So when I look at his Batman, I see Neil. Just like when I look at Irv Novick, I see Neil. When I look at Brian Hitch, I see Neil. When I look at Alan Davis, I see Neil. When I see John Burns Batman, I see Neil. They're all a different dilution of what uh, Neil started. Jim Lee as well. My 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 bottom five out of my top ten, but really the top five I knew going into this, this is what I would give the most volume to. But uh, Jim Aparo, again, who did almost a uh, quicker study of Neil, was able to do it monthly for years and years and years, which is why he has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages than anybody on this list. But it was really another guy who semi-diluted everything great about Neil and made it more uh, just just kind of a basic version, but no less great. The capes, the gestures, the shots, the storytelling, um, the, the, the close-ups, the rendering, it was just a more, I would say, cartoony uh, distillation. Uh, he distilled Neil into a more kind of cartoony base, and he did it fantastically and gave it to us on a regular basis and had long, great, glorified runs with the character. Norm Breifogel, who I previously mentioned, because he was the Batman of the 90s. And again, but when I looked at him, when I look at him, I could see some Mazzuccelli and a whole lot of Marshall Rogers mixed in with his very specific rendition of Batman. So again, I'm looking at people and I go, that it's easily it's so easily identifiable, especially if you grew up with all these guys from the transformative, you know, depiction of Neil. Remember, this Neil Adams book that I read from, this this volume three of four. This is DC Comics themselves telling you he is the most important Batman artist. On the back that I read to you, he is the guy that transformed it. Now, this is at a time when Jim Lee is an officer of the company, running the company. Hush has already concluded. They know what they're doing here. They know the voice that they're speaking with and the volume they're speaking with. They're telling you, Neil is the best. I'm not alone. They they will tell you. The publisher will tell you. Time tested. Time tested. Uh, So again, Neil Adams, Frank Miller. Mark Silvestri, Marshall Rogers, Jim Aparo. My guys are innovating. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. Dave Mazzuccelli. My top five. Neil Adams, Frank Miller, Mark Silvestri, Marshall Rogers, David Mazzuccelli. Six to ten is in any particular order. Jim Aparo, Norm Breifogel, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Dave Finch. McFarlane, even though he was hugely you know, influenced by Marshall Rogers, 100% in two issues. Again, some of these guys put their mark on in just an incredibly abbreviated version. I mean, they, they, they showed up, they did 40 pages, and it impacted us for the rest of our lives. 
So what Marshall Rogers did in seven issues, Todd did in two. That's why he's there. And Todd took the capes. Neil did this great stuff with the capes. Like I said, Marshall said, oh, let, let me let me show you how to make the cape an entire character of its own. And then Todd said, well, let me show you how I can take that even further. And then Norm even further, okay? Dave Finch is because if there is a more commercial uh, version that combines all of these elements, I haven't seen it. And Dave has done multiple runs on the Batman. The last time that he did it with Tom King, I thought he did this incredible, elongated, uh, multi-arc, multi-issue arc with Bane. And I thought it was fantastic. Batman has never looked more like, oh my gosh, beautiful. Uh, the only version of his Batman that I think is better is Mark's, who kind of was his tutor, his mentor, and his the guy who gave him his big break. Now, Again, you're not going to hear John Byrne on this list, Michael Golden on this list, George Perez on this list, Howard Chaykin, Jim Starlin. Great artists. These guys are phenomenal. But they're not on my Batman list because their Batmans don't have the same impact. The people that I am sharing with you. And you go, but Mark's only done three issues. Just wait. He did one pen up and it became a statue. It got merchandised. This Batman Joker, once you get it collected in line art and in, a, and in an oversized hardcover, Mark's work is going to live on the shelf with people drooling, just like my buddy who wasn't sure what he could get. And my buddy also, extremely well off, could buy the entire store. Wasn't finding anything he liked. Put the Sylvester underneath his nose. What? What? Had to have it. And I found out the next day he went and tried to get the first issue because he, he needed to balance out one and two. Well, now three's out. Mark is doing it. Sometimes you just, one guy with all that talent. Again, there is not one single panel in Mark's Batman that is not drool-worthy and uh, can be studied for hours on end. The, the, the actual just beauty of the drawing and then the lighting and the rendering, um, the staging of the shot. Mark is brilliant. So you're going to, there's a lot of comic book greats that aren't on the Batman list, but I gave you innovators. I gave you the most innovative with Neil Adams, the second most innovative with Frank Miller, the third most innovative with Marshall Rogers. And really after that, now you're, now you're, now you're, the list gets thinner. I mean, even four and five, you know, even, even, uh, even putting, putting Mark and, uh, and, and Mazzuccelli, uh, you know, in, in, I put Mark in the three slot after four, after five, we, we, that, that, that list, in my opinion, drops a steep level, you know, and, uh, again, Neil, Frank, Mark, Marshall, Mazzuccelli, after those five, Almost every single Batman that you're getting right now came from an iteration of what they put on the page. And trust me, uh, Mark is creating a revolution. Mark is creating a revolution. People are going to go, oh, oh, because so often people, wow, this is what I like. But if, when you look at Sean Gordon Murphy's Batman, as great as it is, it has tethers all the way back to Marshall Rogers and David Mazzuccelli. Okay, period. Full stop. End of story. Um, Bruce Tim, you know. Marshall Rogers, David Mazzuccelli. Then he has his own Kirby flavor that he throws on everything. So, but those are mine. That's my list. It's not the list. It's my list, in my opinion. And again, great artists aren't on this list. But that's because they haven't, you know, it's ironic. John Byrne can do a Wolverine that is among the best ever. But I don't think his Batman was 
a top 15 rendition of Batman. That's just my opinion. That's just mine. Because again, I got, why isn't John Byrne on this? Why isn't Phil? And I'm like, well, your guy is not going to be my guy because maybe you didn't live through the same development and evolution of Batman as I did. And I know, again, with the receipts, who introduced which aspects of Batman that have turned audiences on their head. And for the most part, the last 20 years worth of Batman are all taking from these top five, much less the top 10. Batman, huge, seminal, pop culture figure. He will uh, reign forevermore. There is not a time I can imagine in the next 50 plus years that he is not going to be uh, in the forefront, along with Spider-Man and every other, you know, all of the other kind of kings uh, of pop culture. And these are the artists. Uh, Tim Burton, 1989, he would cite Neil Adams. He would cite Frank Miller. He would cite Marshall Rogers as being influences in, in the way that the form, the shape, the cape were all depicted. So uh, loved going over this, loved talking art, loved talking innovators, but I value innovation above all else. And I think the innovators are in that top five. The innovators, the, the, the depictions of every aspect of Batman that have become so relevant, so popular. So many guys right now are giving you a version of Frank or David Mazzuccelli or or you know and 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 Marshall Rogers capes because again without Marshall there's no Todd and he would have told you so in 1988 1988 oh the capes the capes Rogers and the capes so uh it's a real easy journey you can really tie it all together i'm all about the innovators the people that put their stamp in a way that people are still biting it today can you believe it we made it through and an episode that wasn't a feud episode. We, boy, needed to pump the brakes after a couple of those feud episodes. Man, they got, they got some, there was some vitriol going there. So this was a perfect, I hate to say it. Oh man, I hate this term, but a perfect palate cleanser. This was a perfect palate cleanser. Talking about innovative Batman artists. And again, I'm sorry if your guy is not on my list. I grew up watching this evolution. Like I said, the Neil Adams stuff was being printed in tabloid uh, reprints when I was a kid. So he is obviously always going to just hit home with me. And, and when, when, when I can name 10 top artists off the top of my head that, that all draw their influence from one guy, I mean, he, he sits and reigns supreme. And again, you can talk about whatever the very first sketches, drawings of Bob Kane or Dick Sprang, or, um, I just, it's, it's not as, uh, you know, uh, or Bill Finger, Bill Finger. That I, like like that's like like the goal. Like early Silver Age stuff doesn't register as much with me. It's it's not stuff that's on my shelves. Um, so Finger, Kane, Sprang. It's just not the stuff that that is in my collections because it doesn't it didn't touch me, move me. Uh, you know, I I did love in the. Mid two thousands, they did a Brave and the Bold cartoon, and it all looked like Dick Sprang artwork, animated style. It was a really cool departure. Um, and certainly, you could say Bruce Tim, but I, I, I'm telling you right now, today I sourced Bruce Tim for you. I mean, between Mazzuchelli and, uh, I mean, without Frank Miller and 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 David Mazzuchelli, uh, you know, you don't make your way to what Bruce Tim was giving to you. Again, even throwing that curveball of the Kirby. In all of it, because there is so much Jack in what uh, in what Bruce Tim offers you in the animated, you know, platform in the, in, the, in that sector. 
But yeah, my guys are the innovators. Uh, you can't argue with Frank Miller. I mean, the entire podcast I did on the 10 ways that he changed Batman is, you can't argue it. It's facts. All that stuff was determined um, by Frank's instincts. He changed the course of the character, saved the character. Me, Stephen King, we agree on one thing. But there's no Frank without Neil. Mark Silvestri is literally, as we speak, redrawing the legend of Batman. He's giving you a, a, a an illustrative batman on par with what neil did in 1970 uh marshall rogers again just just go seek some marshall rogers out i have yet to have somebody who goes oh my gosh i don't see it when you see marshall rogers get a couple issues together look at them find the trade collection it is so beautiful the art is so fun it's really fun crisp clean uh extremely detailed uh, it'll just pop. You'll dig it. it. You'll you'll see the Todd McFarlane. You'll see that's that. You'll you'll source that. I mean, it's fun to source. You guys, it's really it's really fun to to source this stuff. Mazzuchelli, you just cannot escape his the the potency of of his 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 contributions. And again, like I said, the other guys, like you know, they, they all brought something else to the table. But there's so many great renditions of Batman and you know, yours is your, your favorite. If it didn't make my list, then, then make, then make your list. You know, that, that, that's what it's here for. I'm, I'm looking at the innovators who determined the way that Batman would be, be depicted for years and years to come. And there's no like giant, like version of Batman that I missed. So anyway, great, great. Thanks for hanging with me this episode. Thanks for riding on this podcast. And, and, uh, I just enjoy your company so much and i enjoy the feedback so much and 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 part of the feedback is uh the reviews because you guys leave so many amazing reviews for this show i am like could not be more humbled by the generosity and you are just um the, the 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 feedback that you're giving me is uh it is just uh i mean it it is it is absolutely overwhelming that the the the, uh, the positive vibes that you guys are sending my way. Um, we read them at the end of every show. At the end of every show, I I read the interview the 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 positive reviews that you guys leave for us. They help us so much. They help separate us. Uh, help us stand out on the platform. People go. They look like oh man, those, those the people who are digging this are really digging this, and I appreciate it because it's you guys. And, uh, and and I appreciate you so much. And so uh, we're going to share today uh, uh, Trout Player. Trout Player. Uh, very generous. Gave us five stars. Trout Player. Again, you read, you leave these plat- these these reviews on Apple. Um, DM me the messages wh- wherever on the website that these are cultivated, and I find them and I and I share them with you each and every episode. It, it's it's my way of saying thanks thank you so much for taking the time out and, and sharing your passion for the show trout player uh says a jolt of passion he gave us five stars the title of his review is a jolt of passion rob liefeld's love and enthusiasm for comics is contagious and makes me want to bin dive and open up my storage closets for all the golden nuggets rob spotlights on his show also one thing rob does not skimp on is the juicy comic drama he puts it all in caps or the T, as the kids say. I simply cannot get enough. I run the Twitter page, Cool Comic Art, 
with over 100,000 followers and a big source of inspiration and positivity comes from listening to this show. So keep them coming and thank you, Mr. Liefeld, for all the cool drawings and all the great entertainment you've given us as kids and as adults. Wow. Thank you, Trout Player. And let me tell you something. I follow Cool Comic Art. I'm one of those 100,000. It's a great Twitter follow. I highly recommend that you give Cool Comic Art a follow. It's so fun because he'll just go, you know, here's a bunch of Mike Mignola art. Here's a bunch of Jim Lee art. Here's a bunch of Jack Kirby art. Here's a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, whatever. He's just sharing it all the time and he'll give you great covers, pinups, uh, shots maybe that, that didn't come to your mind. I look at it every day. I love it. Thank you, Trout Player. Thank you, Cool Comic Art. Thank you for the enthusiasm. I really do. Uh, get excited talking about this stuff. I think these are the gems. This is the magic. You know, a buddy of mine who runs one of the studios, uh, literally he could green light so many different superhero projects. We were out to lunch. I'm fortunate to call him friends for, for over two decades. And he said, Rob, I just, it, I don't buy comic adaptations for our studio because they're never going to be better than the comic. Look, come on, man. They're never better than the comic. And I, we laughed. And I mean, really, honestly, to this day, I've said this, it's, it's one of my go-to mottos on the show is I prefer the comic. I'll always prefer the comic. I think all of the Thanos comics as good. And I'm going to tell you right now, Thanos was portrayed perfectly. I thought he really, uh, it was the spirit of Jim Starlin's Thanos through and through. It could not, he could not have had a better physical representation or a better dramatic representation. The acting, the performance, the Brolin, the motion capture, the depiction, the CGI, he was fantastic. I still like him in the comics better. I still like the Avengers annual number seven and the Marvel 2 and annual that, that, that linked to it. I still like the Infinity War, um, the Infinity Gauntlet, those comic books. They sing. They're special. They're the source material for all of this, so much of it. So, so again, I'm always going to choose the comics. I like the comics. They get me excited. I love sharing them. So thank you for sharing these, these uh, reviews. Find me uh, on, 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 when you leave these reviews, I share them with you here. You guys on social media, I am located on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. The whole big swallow name. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check. It's it's a verification. Nothing more, nothing less. It tells you that it's really me. Please follow me on Twitter. I, I do an extension kind of commentary sometimes, share my thoughts, not as much as I used to because it's kind of a, a, a little, sometimes you, you can wake up and find yourself in crazy town. I think we all understand that who who navigate Twitter. But on Twitter, I'm at Robert Liefeld. Free, feel free to Join me, follow me. I, I, I love talking to you guys. Um, over on Instagram, my, my photo dump diary where I'm showing you what I'm drawing or what I drew or what I drew 30 years ago or uh, you know, me and the family on vacation, having dinner, doing whatever we're doing, my, me and my wife, my kids. Um, on Instagram, I'm just at Rob Liefeld. Again, another blue check, a verification. You know it's me. Uh, when you send me your DMs, your uh, mentions, your comments, I get all of them. I, I, I try and get back to you when you guys share stuff with me i try and put it on my story i love hearing from you over on instagram i am at rob liefeld throw me a follow i appreciate it i am on an app called whatnot the whatnot app is burning up it's a huge collectibles app you want magic cards you want pokemon cards you want Yu-Gi-Oh. it's all there you want marvel comics dc comics image comics independent comics it's all there you want uh rolex watches they have those too you want you know sports gear kicks um, jerseys, they got everything. It is a killer 
killer platform. It's blowing up live auctions. I have shows uh, now. Uh, I think I'm going to be going down to once a week. You can generally find me on the weekends on a Friday or a Saturday. Look for me. I schedule my shows. I'm Rob Liefeld. I'm Rob Liefeld on whatnot. I, on my shows, when I do them, uh, I, I offer customized uh, signatures. Find out what a blood splatter chisel logo is because we developed it on the show in real time. Uh, a chisel logo, a drop shadow chisel. Um, you know, we do remarks. We have original art. I have exclusive comics. We did an exclusive whatnot Deadpool comic. We did an exclusive Spider-Man variant. Um, uh, just for whatnot, we did an exclusive brigade for my catalog, my extreme catalog. So find me on whatnot. Um, you can follow me at Rob Liefeld. I'm on at least once a week. Uh, look for when I schedule the shows. Love to see you over there. Love to share with you the signed Funko Pops, toys, uh, comic books, and original art that we display and share so check me out whatnot a lot of stuff over there a lot of stuff beyond my shows some people have 24 hour non-stop shows so check it out have a good time uh whatnot download it sign up hope to see you there over on facebook i have a facebook group it is a group i am the moderator as is my buddy terry sala the two of us s-a-l-a our group we will moderate and administrate and let you in when you give your um, request, that's how you know you're at the right place. It's me and Terry. It's Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's our new name for it, okay? It's, it's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. There's a whole bunch of us sharing art, sharing stories, comics, you know, signatures, stuff we collect. It's a fun group. It goes beyond just the stuff that I've created, just Anything I've worked on, The Shield from Archie, G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes. Uh, did you know I did a Transformers uh, variant cover that looked like a New Mutants 87? You'd find it over there. Did you know I did a Transformers, you know, a couple Transformers G.I. Joe uh, covers about a decade back? Super fun. Again, it's it's uh, stuff, whether I created it or not, if if I did a run on it, we talk about it, we we openly discuss it. It's an extension of certainly this show. And, and whatnot and everything else. So check us out on Facebook. That group is Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Terry or myself will be the moderators, the administrators that click you in. Uh, that covers it. Boy, we got Twitter, Instagram, whatnot, Facebook. That's all the places that I'm knocking around on a daily basis. You can look for me. You can find me. You can talk to me. You can reach me. I love, I absolutely love um, hanging out with you guys. This, the fact that technology technology has been able to connect us in the way that it is is as impressive and fascinating as anything. At the end of every show, I wish you all the best, and I wish for you uh, a time that you can unplug from the Matrix. Have an ice cream sundae. Have a bowl of mint chip, cookies and cream, whatever is your jam. Have a have a giant cookie. Have have some ramen. Have some a bag of Doritos, a bag of Bake Lays, whatever. Um, a a, a, a Peanut butter cup. Did you know I have a Reese's peanut butter cup once a day? Well, now you do. I have a Reese's peanut butter cup once a day, and it is the best 15 seconds of my life, okay? It's a, it's the best 15 seconds of every day, and you better believe that that is 100% accurate. So check me out. Uh, I am always going to wish you well. I want you to relax, get on that recliner, grab a comic, grab a book, watch a fun movie. Uh, what, right now, you, my wife and I, were catching up on, on the, uh, the movies that are up for award, uh, you know, consideration, the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Um, we just saw, uh, 
we're, we're set to watch tar. I mean, it's, it's just a way to escape, unplug. I know not all of you can do that. Your lives are really busy, but I'm imploring you at some point, take some time for yourself. Hey, walk the dog, go to a park, ride a skateboard, ride a bike, take a hike. You know, I'm sitting here promoting junk food to you. But for me, when I grab a comic book, graphic novel, I pulled, like today, I pulled a couple of Hulk comics off my spinner rack that Herb Trimp did, that Tony Isabella wrote with Adam Warlock and uh, the New Men and the Hulk. And it was such a great comic. I loved it so much in 1975. I had both parts. I just relived it again. I was transported back to when I was a kid. It just took me away. I was almost in a trance when I, had to, when I, when I closed the books and kind of said goodbye to 1975. You know, I had to read, I kind of, stilled myself and I had some serious joy in my heart from revisiting those comics, looking at those pictures, looking at that great storytelling. It was better than I even remembered and I loved it. And uh, when I put them back on the spinner rack, I had a big smile on my face. It was a momentary excursion to another place, another world. And it just, uh, it gave me a pep in my step, man. And I hope I'm hoping the same for you because your emotional self, your physical self, your spiritual self, and your mental self need to be fed at all times, at least on a regular basis to unplug from the matrix, the grind, the job, the responsibilities that we all share. So, hey, I'm rooting for you. I'm wishing the best for you. Fist bump right through this podcast, right right, in, right, right. your knuckles into mine. Uh, look for me. I'll be back again. I hope to see you swing the car around. We will most certainly, absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon.